day, everyone, and welcome back to the Mark Fraley Podcast. Today is Thursday, January 26, 2023. It is a cold and gray day here in Music City, but the signs of spring are beginning to show, with daffodils popping up everywhere. As always, thanks to Ron Trammell for his guitar work on our intro music. Remember, you can find and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. And that way you can get notifications when a new episode is posted. The Tennessee State Park System is nationally regarded as exemplary in many ways. Particularly noteworthy are the outstanding events, festivals, interpretive, and recreation programs that the park system provides. Consider the long-standing bicycle ride across Tennessee, the BRAT, the State Park Running Tour, and the Spring Wildflower Festival at Cedars of Lebanon. Excellence in programming, however, has not always been a quality that was uniform across the state. There was a time when there was an ambivalence to programming and a feeling that if you had an occasional campfire program, that would be enough. There have been many individuals who have over the years made important contributions to the ability of the parks to deliver such excellent programming, but none more more than our guest today, Charlie Tate. Charlie has been a mainstay in parks programming over the last 40 years. In 1998, Charlie was recognized by the Tennessee Recreation and Parks Association with the Distinguished Fellow Award. And so I hope you will enjoy my conversation with my friend Charlie Tate as we discuss the highlights of his career with Tennessee State Parks. And we will get started right after this brief message. Hi, this is Heather Lose, Editor-in-Chief of the Tennessee Conservationist Magazine. Every year we publish six beautiful issues packed full of timely and informative stories about Tennessee culture, people, and places. You can stay informed about your world and all the great things happening in your Tennessee State Parks. It's easy to subscribe. Just go to our website at tnconservationist.org. Thank you. So, Charlie Tate, welcome to the Mark Fraley Podcast. Mark, it's great to be here and great to see you after so many years. Great. Charlie, thanks so much for coming to Nashville Um, I know you're living uh, down in Murray County these days. Columbia, okay, yeah. So uh, thanks for making the extra effort to come up and join oh, me. Hey, I wouldn't have missed it. Thank you. You know, Charlie, um, this is part of a series that we we're trying to do in this podcast where we, inter- where we interview people that have received the TRPA Fellow Award. And I guess there's 40 or 50 of those people out there, and I may have done a dozen or more of those interviews. And I was scrolling down the list the other day, trying to figure out who to interview next. And uh, I decided, well, Charlie Tate, I've got to get a hold of him. So thanks for agreeing to do this. Hey, thank you. Well, Charlie, one of the things we like to talk about, um, you know, in these interviews when we first get started, and we're trying to interview people that are in, have been involved in conservation and parks and recreation, that sort of thing. Um, and what was what was it that that inspired you to become a part of that profession? Well, you know, I tried my luck at, you know, just getting a job after high school. Um, and 
invariably, it seemed like I was always I always chose a job where you know you would work for a while, get laid off for a while, work for a while, and I vowed that after high school I was through with education. That sounds kind of strange, but uh, finally I saw that education didn't look really bad, especially when you were doing government work uh, involved in the airplane industry, building airplanes like at Avco and Lockheed and. The government work was so up and down. I mean, they promised you all these long-term jobs. So I said, college is not looking really bad. I was married at that time. I got married two days after I turned 18. Oh, my. And uh, just lucked out and got a great woman. Been married now 50, almost 57 years. Um, So decided to go to school and, you know, the thing I guess that I wanted to do most at that time, or at least I thought I did, was to teach and maybe coach a little. And so I went to Tennessee Tech. And uh, toward graduation, I guess like most people, you start wondering what you're going to do, if you're going to continue your education, if you're going to go on to graduate school, or if you're going to go on and get a job and teach. But somehow, and I can't remember now, Mark, it's been so long ago, I got the name of Dr. Melvin A. Humphreys from Memphis State University, and he had a program down there in in Parks, and he was going about it a little bit different way. He was letting you kind of design, you know, which area you wanted to go into because there's so many facets of the Parks and Recville, but it just took one visit to Dr. Humphreys, and I was sold. Uh, on what I wanted to do. All of a sudden, it seemed like, you know, even though there's some overlap in what I was thinking about, I was able to uh, really get into a good thing. I got into the the Parks and Rec program at Memphis State, and my collateral was in biology and history. Uh, So, uh, you know, I was able to, luckily, to get a job at... uh, in Tennessee State Parks. Matter of fact, that's what I focused on. Uh, you know, I just thought that's something I wanted to do, stay in my home state and work for state parks. So your first job with, with state parks was just after graduate school? Just after graduate school. Uh, Bill Boswell was the director. Then Granville Hinton was the commissioner. And we just, uh, believe it or not, Ray Billingsley and I, Ray was at Memphis State, we camped out on Bill Boswell's uh, doorstep. (laughs) And I think finally he had to hire us as the only way to get some control over us. Uh, So uh, I got a job as a regional program person on uh, program services was the name of the section and work in West Tennessee and just really loved every minute of it. Uh, so were you working for Alan Coggins at, the, at that time? N- no, no, at that time, it was uh, a guy by the name of Doug Hall. I remember who the is, name. Who is a, uh, yeah. a cohort of Jim Fikes. Matter of fact, I think they both played on the same basketball team at DuPont High School. So that's how I first met Jim Fike. So I've known him quite a few years. But Doug worked for him and... They combined the programs, recreation and interpretation was separate. But when they combined the program, uh, that was when Alan Coggins came on. And I worked for him um, several years. And then Roy Walker 
then me. Well, then I became some, the. Those are some names. I, of course, I interviewed <clears throat> Alan last year. We had oh, great, Alan's a great guy. Sure, he's really competent. Yeah, fellow. So you served in the first <clears throat> in the Granville Hinton. Right. Uh, when he was commissioner of conservation under Winfield Dunn. Wow. Okay. Well, that's and that would have been seventy three or seventy four. Right. Seventy right. okay. three. Wow. So interesting. And um, so you were head of program services for West Tennessee. Right. Right. I was a regional in program services. Then I became the head when Alan Coggins, right. uh, or excuse me, Roy Walker, okay. left and went to TVA. Then I got that job, so we had three regional recreation people and three regional naturalists, right. and um, I think that was around '77, some somewhere around there. So that would have been uh, Jack Miller's. <clears throat> right, right, exactly, right, exactly. Right. So that was an interesting time. Still, it was. Yeah, still, still over there uh, with, with. Um, who was the commissioner? We're we talking Buck Allison. Buck Allison, the right. Commissioner who hired, was the guy that hired me in conservation. Right. right. That would have uh, been that period. And what Walt Crowley, was he your supervisor? He was, Walt? Okay. Well, Walter was, was the director of planning, <clears throat> planning and development. Right. Uh, and, and of course, Jerry Dillahay was my supervisor. Right. Great guy, yeah, Jerry yeah. Dillahay. So, all right. So, you know, the program services division is, is really an important thing in state parks. Uh, and I think, you know, Charlie, you, you you served in that role for many years. Right. Um, I think you left at one time, came back, right, uh, and served. Um, but it is it's it's a it's an important function. Well, um, well, it's more important now than it was back then. We had to really fight for. Uh, uh, you know, we were uh, sort of uh, the square, you know, peg in the round hole when we first started. Back in those days, you know, in parks, I've got to say this right now, Mark, I see enough and keep up with them on media to know that they, they've really come a long way from back then, just like you could attest that uh, municipal recreation has come a long way, right. you know, right. since, since those days. Uh, we had a, you know, it seems like we had to, we used to say, say we'd do our job through subterfuge or whatever it <laughs> took to get our job done because we weren't appreciated by a lot of people. Now, there were, there were strongholds back then that had really good programming, but it was really inconsistent, you know, around. So we, we worked mostly where you'd have success, and I hated we had to do that because you didn't, you felt like you were wasting your time in some areas, and then... You know, and so it was inconsistent. It was uneven back back in those days. Well, to have a one person in each grand division responsible for recreation services, so that one person might have fifteen or twenty parks right. to deal with. Uh, that's spreading things pretty thin. It, it is. Um, it sure was. When the when the individual parks don't have their own capacity to deliver services. Right, uh, and then and then uh, and then some would, and now you know, Fall Creek, for example, had their own interpreter and that sort of right. thing. But um, so I guess you have to just work where where people would work with you. Exactly, and 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 those days, especially the 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 park manager, you know, well, you know, we can just call it like it is. It, it was a lot more uh, politically based back in those days, and the park manager was the king of his of his area 
And uh, he, he pretty much, and I say he because everybody back in those days, rangers and manager were he's. Right. Um, they pretty much called the shot. So it depended on how on the rapport you were able to develop with those guys as to how successful your program was. And I'm not critical of these guys. That's the way it was. They all, you know, I've known some really great guys over the years. Um, But, you know, that's just about the way it was, which little by little it evolved to where we are now. And I'm impressed when I look and see the staff, uh, different staff uh, folks at, at parks now and their perspective, and they seem like they have the right perspective on what their job is, what they should be doing. Their backgrounds are good. They research. They develop really good programs. And uh, so I'm pretty impressed with it today. Let's drop back just a second and talk about the seasonal uh, program mm-hmm. that, that is so important in parks, you know, and, and ten, you know, state parks for, for whatever, whatever you say, there still is a season. <clears throat> Uh, and the summer season is still the most important, you know, part of, what, sure. of, of just because of, of the dynamics of weather and all that sort of thing. But each year, uh, Parks has traditionally hired a cadre of younger people, uh, some naturalists and some cultural resources interpreter type people, mm-hmm. historians and that sort of thing. Um, were you involved in the in the beginning of that training session that was so important for, mm-hmm. for that bunch. Sure. Well, tell us about that, you know, because as I've interviewed many of, of folks who have become rangers and people and, you know, important people in parks, you know, almost to a man or a woman, they credit that seasonal interpretive uh, program, that training, that week or so training that is done as being an inspiration for them. It, it was is a pretty amazing um, and it was a, a period of time where, where you could really, really uh, drill down and get to, you know, uh, your, uh, the very uh, basis, basic. Uh, okay, so Charlie, we're back on the, on the record now. Uh, we were interrupted by someone knocking at the door. <laughs> and we were talking about the, the seasonal interpretive pro, uh, training program that happens in parks each year. Uh, and go ahead and, and talk about that. A bit. Uh, well, I think the key, the thing that that made that time uh, so special, was our staff. Uh, just some really, really creative folks, innovative folks. Uh, Got to start number one with Mac Pritchard, who was always a, a, a key component. Matter of fact, I think he, what we we uh, built on was the basis that he, the basis that he had started back maybe even in the early 60s. Um, Bob Fulcher, Richard Hilton. We uh, tried to give them the ammo they needed to be an effective interpreter, effective programmer. Uh, the, the dynamics, the working with people, the getting to know your resource, uh, doing uh, exemplary programs there. And, you know, a week. It, it was a whole week of just focusing on that. And so if you look out at the parks, <clears throat> you might hire in the summertime maybe 30 or so mm-hmm. 
uh, people Pro- probably, to be probably a few more than okay. that. Okay, all yeah. right. Yeah. Well, that a number in that in that mm-hmm. vicinity. Sure. Um, and college mm-hmm. students, for the most part, uh, some majoring in recreation, but others in history or biology mm-hmm. and right. that sort of thing. And some would have some training or some experience in doing programs. For instance, try, trying to do a campfire program, or or to take a do a nature walk, or uh, you know, a, an arts and crafts program mm-hmm. with you know using found objects or something of this nature. Right, right. Um, and uh, just you know walking off the street and having an assignment to do that at a park is not an easy thing. Right. And and, and so this this program of spending a week with these young folks would give give you all an opportunity to bring them up to speed and put some put some resources in their hands to deliver that sort of thing. Right. You know, we uh, shared the principles of interpretation. Uh, we would, uh, something that was always fascinating was uh, doing their impromptu interpretation by handing them an object and having, uh, and I guess the whole point was you didn't have to just spout out facts about that object, but it taught them how to kind of think on their feet and use those principles of interpretation more than just spouting out facts like you were in a classroom. You know, uh, how to tell the story uh, of that object, right. its use, you know, and right. draw uh, things that were analogous to it in life. And, uh, and Campfire was a great example because we did put a lot into campfires <clears throat> and talking about how... Uh, what the fire meant through history, how it, it was something, you know, to, for protection, warmth, sure. Sure. but it could also be something to fear, you know, and where it was in history and how it still brought people together. It was uh, that innate part of us. So, um, yeah, those kind of things that made it so really, you know, so special. Uh, and those uh Kids, I say kids, everybody's a kid to me now, Mark, um, came out of it with a, a great appreciation. I think a, a, if they were dedicated, it rededicated, uh, rededicated them to, you know, the job that was uh, they were about to take on, how to promote their programs effectively, how just the whole gamut of things it takes to build a program. Well, you know, the other thing about it is it's it was a development program for staffing in, in the parks right. in, in the sense that it gave the the folks at central office who often had the hiring decisions <clears throat> to make an opportunity to see this young talent right and uh, as it turns out you know the ones that turn out to be rangers and then park managers many 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 of them all, you know I would say 80 or 90 percent are graduates of that interpretive exactly. program exactly, and um, that was the that was the point in the beginning. Of course, like I said, it was slow going in the beginning because, again, uh, the political aspect. Uh, I'll never forget the day, Mark, that I would go in to the uh, be called to the office, like at Chickasaw, and uh, the guy that was going to talk to me about my job was a cotton farmer who happened to be the chairman of the patronage committee, oh, you know. Right. And so we've gone from those days, right, right. you know, to 
the way things are today. And I don't think that takes place. I'd be disappointed to find out that they still, you know, did things like that. But again, it was what it was. You can't change it. You can't take today's principles and apply them back then, you know, because it was just a different world. But we really have come a long way, and I'm impressed. You know, Charlie, one of the things that, that I recall so much about the, the time that I spent working with you were the, were the major events oh, yeah. that, that would, would happen from time to time. And I'm thinking right now, and you'll, you'll probably have others in mind, but I was thinking about um, Davy Crockett Birthplace State Park uh, and, the, and an event that, that happened on Davy Crockett's birthday. Yeah, the bicentennial. Right. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. I guess you had three or four stages of musicians and programs going on and just a remarkable program to pull off. You know, the wrestling was a big thing in Crockett's day. We even had a demonstration of a re- wrestling and anything. I'd forgotten that. that. Yeah, anything yeah. that we could tie in. Yeah, you know, we, uh, I think we, we use those to put our best foot forward. Uh, there are so many things we did back then that were really uh, taxing on the, on the small staffs that we had because we'd have some events that would, uh, which I've got to say this, Mark, the Davy Crockett Bicentennial, something popped into my mind. Um, we were warned at that time not to let the bice- Davy Crockett Bicentennial eclipse anything that was going on with homecoming Tennessee. Oh, oh yes. Oh, so yes. we had to reassure them that this could be an important part oh, of oh. homecoming Tennessee. <clears throat> Let's remind everyone what, what that was. So during the Alexander administration, right. um, uh, the governor and his staff got the idea of talking about using the bicentennial of the state of Tennessee, which Tennessee founded in 1796. Um, so, eight, not eight, so 1986 was the bicentennial mm-hmm. of the state of Tennessee. And so he had this notion that every community was going to have a little celebration of a homecoming uh, or do some sort of project that was a homecoming. So, uh, and this was all important to the governor. I mean, it was a great idea. It really was. And and we had so many programs that did plug in nicely, just folded into the homecoming 86 concept. But I'll never forget that one because I think he saw the potential for the Crockett Bicentennial because... We had people from Europe who showed up there, who wow. from all over the country, wow. because Davy Crockett was such a draw. And we had Archie Campbell, and we had you know quite a quite a few folks up there. We made some improvements uh, to the park, like a more authentic cabin up there, um, and several other things. Some interpretation that we didn't have up there in the first place, because it, it was a you know originally it was kind of run. Uh, as like a, like it was a KOA, you know. The and, the the, uh, the Davy Crockett Birthplace Park is up near Greenville, Tennessee. Greenville, right? Um, and uh, it's right on the river there. But it came into state ownership uh, because it was a failed Campground right. of America right. uh, project, um, and uh, somehow the. Uh, I, Somehow the strings were pulled to have state up, state become the owner of it. Right, it's a very small little park. Right, um, and um, 
I guess it's deba- a little bit debatable about whether Davy Crockett ever had any connection with that actual right. property. But it, so it's referred to as the birthplace. But. Well, you know, the, the reason why, uh, you know, the only thing it's referenced, Mark, is a series of shoals, which are right at the park, you know, on the Nolichucky. And they know that the location isn't preposterous. Okay. I mean, you, know, right. it, right. you know, there is a tie-in because he, refer, he referenced those uh, by, by almost a drowning incident involving Crockett when he was small. So interesting. You know, so uh, that that's where, you know, and the, and the, the shoals are there. But, you know, the major events through the years um, – we had everything, and I've heard you talk about the you know Roly Hole Marble Look, Tournament. Yes, yes. We've had geology conclaves. We had the state park running tour with the Tennessee Banjo Institute. We, you know, just a lot of things. The bicycle ride across Tennessee, which is still, you know, those some of those are still going on. The folk uh, life programs that Bobby Fulcher started, unbelievably. You know, so many of them are still happening today. And uh, if we took Bobby Fulcher's, uh, the events that were part of his brainchild, uh, it would really damage the overall offering. I mean, the guy was so productive. Bobby Fulcher is a... uh, Genius is the only well, way he's I a can describe no, it. He really no is. No question about he it. He absolutely is. And, and for those that are interested in, in hearing more about him, we, there's an interview with, with Bob Fulcher right. on this program year, some years ago. Uh, but it was the two of you all that got the, <clears throat> the Tennessee Folklife program going. Well, you know, my role, he gives me too much credit. Bobby recognized right away the, 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 the limits that state funding placed on you. So he started going for grants. And you know yourself, if that's a double-edged sword. You can get some money, but what comes with it is pretty uh, pretty dawning in terms of right. you know reports and all right. the things, right. the follow-up and all the guidelines you have to meet. Right. But uh, Bobby uh, had the money through an NEA grant, but he had no positions. So he still gives me two credit. Well, you know, maybe I deserve a little, but he overdoes it because <laughs> I came up with the three positions. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And the three positions I came up with, I had to talk managers out of giving up summer positions, which was no easy task. Right, right. You to, know, to staff that and, program. Right. And right. so Ray Allen, Jay Orr, and Elaine Lawless were got came in those uh, got those right. positions and uh i know the Bobby regional of, folk life specialists uh yeah, yeah yeah right one east middle and west right. and right. incredible people um bobby really hit the road and and uh found these folks i think maybe some of them were at the university of indiana I forget where, I don't know if any of them from Western Kentucky, but through the years he had several others who came right. from different places. And uh, All of them have people. left a mark oh, in the field yes, of folklore. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Tom Rankin, Betsy Peterson, uh, uh, just on and on, right, just right. Uh, uh, that, that Bobby discovered. Just Well, and you know, it was a fun, it was a fun thing, but it was an important thing also 
uh, because of the legacy it left in programming in the parks. Right. Um, right. They're still doing folk life programming mm-hmm. in the parks, and it's a it's a major attraction for for the people. Just the the uh, people that come to the parks want that kind of experience. It makes yeah. the it makes their experience more authentic, right? Well, right, and, and and a lot of these folks, the people in the counties where they took place didn't know about them, you know, and until we brought them out in these programs. And uh, it's unbelievable, the talent and the skills, and, they're, and you know, they're not folks who, you know, decided they were going to do this, you know, through, you know, going to a handicraft place and learning something. You know, they were people who, you know, did things that were handed down to them from generation to generation. And, you know, like the old balladeers and uh, people who, New songs that nobody else knew right. until Bobby took them to the right. uh, National uh, Archives. You know, uh, you um, just a moment ago uh, kind of made a, recited a little bit of a list of, of the different program mm-hmm. activities that you've been involved with. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the bicycle ride across Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can remember when that got started. Tell us a little bit about that. I remember bicycling became kind of a thing. Uh, you know, in, in the late sixties, early seventies. Um, and I think maybe another, maybe Indiana or another state had started a bike ride or. Yeah, there, there were, there were several states. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the RAGBRI, the register's annual great bicycle ride across Iowa, right, right, which was a rolling party, which I don't know if we ever wanted to attain that. I mean, that's like a rolling, (laughs) um, cocktail party, but it was, um, and I, there was a, a gentleman up there, and I'm not sure if he's still living today, but he helped us a lot by giving us information uh, about how they started their ride. A lady in Indiana who did Treery, uh, it was called the Registers, no, nah, what was it? There was, it was Treery, I forgot what the acronym stood for, but it's a, a ride across Iowa. Uh, so other states gave us some ideas, and luckily we uh, we hit it right. It's uh, a huge undertaking. Oh, it to, is. To it do. sure is. It sure uh, is. Just give us an example of how that how that how that the, the uh, logistics of that work out. I mean, it's a huge yep. undertaking. Well, we would uh, for, for you know there and there's a lot of so much advance work exactly you know that you've got to do to make sure not only the parks which were the destinations at the time were ready for them and had the services and able to support them, but you'd go through all these little communities putting up posters and telling store owners they're going to be like locusts descending on you. They're, they're going to take <laughs> all your bread, all your candy, all your, you know. Right. So we, we'd have to go, uh, and Jim Hammontree was instrumental in that. Jim Hammontree, I mean, he really worked hard at this going through and letting in advance, letting all these folks know about it. But anyway, we would pick, pick a different out route each year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pick, well, every other year. Oh, okay. We go two years okay. on the same route. But we would, like the first year, we started at the Agri Center down in Memphis. <clears throat> and uh, you got to get everything ready with those people, all the support you need there at the, at the beginning. People come in, you have, to shuttle them from airports. They arrive by car, all these different ways. You have this little opening ceremony. You hit the road. The first day they rode 90 miles to Chickasaw. Uh, 
get to Chickasaw. They camp out. You know, uh, we carry their baggage. So you have you have buses for the carrying, or, or we we have trucks, trucks box right. trucks to carry right. their their uh, baggage to right. the next. They come and we put all their bags out, and they come and identify them and go and set up their tents and everything. Uh, like, do you remember Jimmy Holt on Tennessee sure. Outdoors? Yes, yes, yes. I was on his show one time promoting it, and Glenn Smith, the guy with Glenn, him, yeah. Uh, Jimmy said, I don't believe I could ride a bicycle that far and sleep on the ground. And Glenn said, I believe I could ride a bicycle that far and sleep anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll never forget. It's said, true. It's yeah, true. right. But anyway, that, that, that was the dynamic, you know, and we had to provide And food. how many people uh, would, would you uh, Well, the first accommodate? year we started with about 600 people. Good. 600 people. And... Then after that, I think it sort of maintained that right. over time. Right. You know, we didn't want to go much beyond that because the oh, first right. year we did that entire ride with about six people, six Support. staff people. Yeah. And I think from the time the ride began through Wednesday, I think I figured up I had 10 hours sleep. Oh, my. And none of our staff, that wasn't just me. We were, I mean... And when you reached a destination, you had to send a crew out to mark the route for the next day. Sure. You didn't want to do it sooner because you didn't want anybody to mess with the markings sure and everything. Sure. sure. So, I mean, but we were zombies by the time the ride was over. But it's been good. It's been good for bicycling in Tennessee. It's been good for state parks. And it usually occurred at a time after summer when things were slowing down and gave us some really good business. Well, tell us a little bit about the running tour. <clears throat> the running tour was really started by uh, a guy by the name of Jim Minnetree. I remember Jim Minnetree. Jim, sure. God rest his soul, he passed away, I think, in 2019, was living in Johnson City. Great guy. <clears throat> and he... Uh, Started run, uh, working, got this idea, and started run, uh, working with the running clubs and with the YMCA and several other sources out there, and created these. And I understand it still goes on today. And that was that would have been back in the late seventies when that started. But a series of uh, races, and you have. Uh, I remember, uh, for example, that was there was one at Montgomery right, right, time. Frostbite, right. right, and and that's still going on, right, right, right. And, th and I think there's like a five mile, a ten mile, and maybe a twenty mile version right. of that, right, right. And uh, the, I think the matter of fact, uh, it may have been Montgomery Bell that was the half marathon. One of them was a half okay. marathon, yeah, thirteen yeah. mile, and I believe it was the Montgomery Bell. And that's, was that's a, a continuing program. Yeah, even oh today. yeah, it sure is. Right. It sure is. Well, it's fascinating. Um, and then, of course, the the um, the Roly Hole Marbles thing was. Oh yeah, that's great. It's still going on. There, the, it's been featured on ESPN through a program called Great American Events, uh, and several other outlets have. Uh, but it, it's pretty incredible the skill of these guys shooting those marbles. It's unbelievable. Uh, so that, that, that's got a permanent home up there. And again, something that took place over the years, grown men shooting marbles, you know. Uh, 
People might think that's strange, but not up there. It's like the Super Bowl up there. Well, this year it was featured on Good Morning America. Oh, really? I don't know if you... I didn't know I, I didn't. Know. Well, you need to go um, uh, to YouTube and do a search oh, for I'll Rolling do, I'll do Marvels. that. Uh, and they interviewed Bob Fulcher about how they started it. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, anyway, um, so the, it's, it's been important to have programs like that in the parks because it, it brings media in and promotes the parks sure. and uh, brings people in. And, 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 you know, it just shows the uniqueness of the state, you know, the culture here, how different the different areas are. You've got nine physiographic provinces and that many different types of folks and everything i know i've lived in a lot of them and they're different like west tennessee's right. different good folks but right. just different you right. know different right. background so charlie you um were the the director of the program services division mm-hmm. um and then you left state government for a little <clears throat> while um what happened i mistook the need to take a vacation to the need to leave uh, that's a, that's the only way I can describe okay. it because two weeks later, I said I messed up. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. So that was that that was the best way I know to describe right. it. I had a, about a two year hiatus where I was in insurance for a while, then a potato chip salesman for a while, and uh, I don't know, Mark. I don't know if you feel this way or not, but you know, parks and recreation. It is so varied, and you have so many interesting areas and topics, and like you say, natural history, cultural history, outdoor recreation, resource-based stuff, and just the the topics of conversation. And I'm, you know, like saying, I'm not downing anybody, I'm not criticizing anybody, or thinking I'm any better, but just what. You know, the things you talked about day to day and worked with in parks and the variety of people and the variety of skills that that you, you know, work with out there and people, um, I just missed it. Something different every day. It it really is. And and it was so rewarding, you know, personally. when I still look back at uh, things cross my mind, although a lot doesn't now at almost 75. <clears throat> but it's, it, you know, that, that was the lure. That was the hook that, that got me, you know, to uh, come back. You know, Charlie, I, do, I know this. Uh, when when uh, Jim Fike became commissioner of mm-hmm. conservation, this was the beginning of the, of the Bredesen administration. Right. Um, your job changed a little bit then. Right. Uh, you became director of, of resource management right. for cultural and natural resources, which programming is one thing, but managing a resource is a different thing. Talk about that and um, what you learned from that. Well, you know, I think the driving factor behind that was Resource management for so many years in state parks was an elective. Oh, boy. Um, I had seen managers, and like I say, who I think the world of, but would, in essence, run a park like they would run their farm, even though we had plans, master plans, and there were certain guidelines they had to stay within. Right. You, uh, there still wasn't a concerted effort to... Uh, 
look at the resources and how how to best manage each one. So right away with Jim Fike, who afforded the CIS opportunity, we were able to uh, get our own archaeologist to make sure that we weren't massacre in any cultural sites, which we did in a couple of cases. Yeah. Uh, we got a program started with Lynn Ann Welch, a great person who now works out at, uh, at one of the metro parks. Um, and not, what was her specialty? She was our biologist. Okay, okay. And a field she, biologist. Right. Yeah. She started a program which unfortunately was discontinued called the All Taxa Biodiversity Inventory Program. Oh, yes. Where we uh, would work with universities and with a guy named Dr. Hill who uh, would uh, plot, you know, areas of natural significance. We were doing this culturally too right. with the, on GPS, something we hadn't done. That had been attempted in years uh, back, and I, I laud their efforts, but it wasn't a very practical way to go about it. Though they wanted our rangers to quit what they were doing and all of a sudden become the folks going around documenting. Well, they didn't have the education, for one thing, to do it or the time to do it. Right. So this program, which we stole from the Smokies, the Smoky Mountains, who the, okay. they still do the it National up there, would actually go out and solicit the help of colleges and universities to go out and document and locate areas of, uh, you know, uh, significant natural occurrence, like uh, where we would stop putting a parking lot in a bed of pink lady slipper orchids and things like that, you know, because, you know, Lord knows through the years we had done enough of that. So that was a, a good program that we started. Of course, we still had the interpretive program under that resource. Right. We had the <clears throat> the Friends program with Nancy Shaleen, who I saw yes. you had had, yes. uh, began then. Um, and I'm trying. Oh, and uh, we had a property uh, group with Terry Bonham and a guy named uh, Ernest. Oh, I can't remember Ernest's last name. I ought to be, be shot for that. But they would go out, and we tried to pr- promote the idea that the boundaries that are threatened oh, yes, in yes, parks yes, yes. are the ones that aren't paid attention to. You know, when you don't go, when you don't know where your boundaries, and you don't inspect your boundaries, that's where you have problems. And we've had a lot through the years. So we would do training on how to go out, and, and before GPS, we had everybody going out these little quad compasses, which. Didn't work bad, but right. GPS is better. Sure. So sure. we moved on up to GPS, which I think they're still doing now in state parks. So monitoring the boundaries. Right, the right. Monitoring the boundaries, which I don't know if you remember the the survey that was done when Walter Crowley was still around. So this would have been the early eighties mm-hmm. of, of Radnor Lake, mm-hmm. the boundary survey. Uh, and they they found neighbors who had built oh yeah you know, small sheds I on remember. parks and all that sort of thing and uh, trying to explain to those citizens that no you your 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 new building that you just spent five thousand dollars on is is got to be taken down because it's on the park you're right and we had a, a instance at Norris Dam I was there we were looking at a park boundary and all of a sudden we're in somebody's yard and they come came out saying what are you doing in our yard oh my and that's really difficult to explain because these people are already established and had been for years 
on that, you know, and had, I don't think any permanent structures, but had some, like, say, outbuildings sure. right, and right, things right, like that. Right. But uh, so that, you know, became an issue. But all things resource management, you know, is... is just, w- just to pick your brain a little bit and maybe refresh your recollection, um, there was a, a lady named Linda Drees, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who uh, Remember this was well. back in the early days of, of Don Sharpio's time as a director. Uh, and, and um, you know, I think uh, Dr. Sharpio had a, the insight, not difficult to attain this insight, but that we weren't doing any resource management mm-hmm. in the parks. We were responsible mm-hmm. for all these hundreds of thousands of acres and we knew that there were historic things there, uh, prehistoric things there, um, significant uh, botanical assets, um, but no one really had any kind of grasp right. at it. And um, so they were, as you just talked about, they were asking the, each of the parks to mm-hmm. go out and do an inventory. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you you might have someone on staff of a of a park that would recognize sure uh, had enough training in biology to recognize or training in archaeology to recognize, but mostly they didn't. Right, and and um, they would do better today because they have oh absolutely more, more, more talented absolutely. people out there today than they used to have. Um, but uh, that was the first attempt, and then. What you did was much, much more detailed and uh, thoroughgoing. Well, you, you know, and Linda, and, and I can sure appreciate it because there was, that was a frustrating time for all of us then because uh, Joe and Linda and, you know, Don Sharpio right. back then. Joe Gaines. Well, right, right. Up, right. Uh, you know, had that idea that it was important, and it was. Yes. It was but they were putting this on people on people who were already they would they used to come up frustrated talk to me they say i've got a full-time job and i want to do this but i don't know what i'm doing for one thing and i don't have the time for the the." right so in creating that resource management we you know i guess there was a mistake i made mark and maybe you can say this about any bureaucracy word to the wise (laughs) focus on a few things that you really want to see institutionalized and get done, don't go the use the shotgun approach. Don't don't try to get it all done because as good a thing, as good as Jim Fike was to us, and as supportive as he was, um, you know you get frayed. You know no matter how many resources they let you have. I wish that I'd have taken just a few things and really like ATBI, like some other things, and really focused on now, them. To what make, was that that you were talking about? Uh, the all tax about oh, yes, 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 yeah. program. Right. I I wish we had done some of those things and made sure that they were institutionalized, and maybe let some of the other things slide instead of just feeling like I've got to get it all done right now. Because you know that that sure weakens your effort. And uh, were there any uh, really significant discoveries uh, that you can recall uh, uh, of, of people going out and surveying the parks that maybe that they weren't aware of before? Oh yeah, you know, uh, especially and, and it sounds uh, and it, but it's based on the people you know doing it. Richard Connors who I think is still helping John Froshaw on the Mac Pritchard legacy. Okay. Uh, he uh, was doing, I believe, 
dragonflies, you know, uh, you know, we had those kind of folks, people, you know, just really getting detailed on specific species and plants and animals. I can't think if I ever knew it, Mark, forgive me, but I've, you know, forgotten some of the things, but we were coming up all the time and plotting through GPS communities, animal and plant communities that weren't there. The sad thing is I'm not so sure the status. Surely those still exist, but but I'm not right. sure. Well, I know that their GPS program is still in, 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 in existence. Well, I hope um, the things that we had done up to then right. are still, you know, because to tell you the truth, I just haven't been back that much. Uh, I've kind of lost contact with a lot simply because, like I say, my parents, my grandchildren, and... If you don't think you have to, which you already know, you're retired, right? Right. If you think you don't have to keep a calendar anymore, <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> that's that's so funny. <laughs> that's so funny. Let me ask you this, Charlie. The, you know, over the years of of knowing you, um, I know that the Tennessee Recreation and Parks Association has been important to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll never forget. I don't know what. I, I think it was at the Gatlinburg mm-hmm. uh, conference in '83. You were in charge of awards or in charge of new, uh, initiating the new officers mm-hmm. into the into the organization, and uh, you had a candlelight service that you conducted. I, I don't know, you, passing the torch, the symbolic yeah, thing that you yeah, did. Yeah, I'd forgotten uh, all about that. Uh, Mark. Well, I have to tell you, um, it's a it's perhaps a trivial thing, but at the same time, uh, it was a thoughtful thing uh, to. Uh, you know, to, to bring to light the importance of the service that, that you do as a member of TRPA. Talk to us about your uh, affiliation with TRPA and what it's meant to you over the years. Interesting that, that you would ask that because I had just thought about that not long ago. I was assigned TRPA, and I'll tell you what that tell means. Tell me what that means, yeah, yes. Uh, when I was at Memphis State University, there was a guy named J. Paul Price who was an associate professor down there. Okay. And uh, he and Dr. Humphreys both sometimes would overextend themselves, and they would always get out of it by grabbing you by the collar when you walked down the hall and say, as J. Paul would always say, hey, guy, hey, guy, and you, you were in trouble. Well, he said that he was scheduled to deliver a program at, T- at the TRPA conference, which at that time I'd never heard of, okay. in Chattanooga, okay. and I was to give it for him. So, you know, what else can you say? Right. I said, well, I don't know if I'm qualified or, ca- oh, yeah, I've got it prepared. I've got everything verbatim. All you do is just deliver it. So I said, well, what can I say? Well, I climbed aboard the old Memphis Park Commission bus when Jim Hadaway, who later became the Los Angeles Parks, uh, Parks Director. Director. Yeah. Right. Great guy, yeah. really great guy. And I think we went to Chattanooga from Memphis at about 40 miles an hour. So you can imagine how long it took to get there. But I'll never forget, and I'm in front of all these, you know, guys who had been, you know, Gabe Prescott and J.W. Rice and Charlie Spears and you know, all these guys who had had years and years of uh, experience in parks and rec. And I didn't bother really to kind of reframe some of the things that uh, 
uh, with, you know, was going to deliver down there. And J. Paul's first words there, which I didn't change, were, now I'm not here to mesmerize any of you folks. <laughs> and I just laugh at that these days, saying there I was, a green graduate student at Memphis State University telling these guys, I'm not here to mesmerize you folks, you know. But that was my first experience at, at TRPA, not knowing how I would become affiliated with that organization through the years. Goodness. But, but that was in 1972 is when that would have been. But met people, liked it, liked their, their, their organization, learned what they stood for, learned, uh, matter of fact, even met Doug Hall, who would later become my boss at that TRPA conference. But through the years, served very various committees and everything, including one of my, is Jerry Guest still at Jackson? He's retired now, but yes, he's still living in Jackson, right? Was uh, getting Jerry Guest to run for the president uh-huh. of TRPA, uh-huh. which I thought he was a, a really qualified, really capable was. guy. Absolutely. But I remember that was no easy task you know, getting him to run for the for president, but uh, that would have been seventy nine or eighty. Yeah, some yeah, yeah something yeah, like that. Yeah, right. um, yes, and he did a great job. He sure did. Yeah, yeah, Jerry's a good guy, and I. But you know, the, the, I keep getting this cold hard slap of reality, Mark. Like time, time goes on. I keep thinking people are where they are, the way they were, you know, and they're not. So. Well, you know, it's interesting, Charlie. The the Tennessee Department of Conservation was instrumental in the creation of TRPA back in 1952 or 53. Wow, didn't know that. Um, there was a guy by the name of Lewis Twardzik who was the, know the, the name. park and recreation specialist for the state. And his responsibility was to go out and work with communities, helping them set up park boards and all that sort of thing. And... Uh, so this was back in in the early 50s. And so he got with uh, Ruth Bird and with Gabe Prescott and some of those people that were uh, uh, J.W. Rice, mm-hmm. um, uh, Maynard Glenn from Knoxville. Yep. Uh, and they were all involved in the in the beginning of TRPA. But, you know, when when um, when Dr. Twardzik left state government, moved to Michigan, um, it was like state government wasn't involved with it again anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you came in to into state government, you brought that with you mm-hmm. uh, the uh, the um, the feeling that it was important to be to relate to the other the other people that were doing parks and recreation in the right. state. Right, and little by little, of course, you know that's not anything that happened overnight. Right. Even though we kept talking up TRPA with you know rangers and different folks, and little by little, you saw it expand and increase. And right. especially when they started supporting some of them going to the conference and things like that, right. you know, which was also no easy right. thing to do. Exactly. You know, as you well know, right? You know, yeah, there was limited budget for that, right? Um, and and then. That's true, and then also the, the the professionalism among the staff at conservation. Well, you know, wouldn't they wouldn't uh, think think about paying on their own to mm-hmm. go to a meeting like that? Mm-hmm. You know, wasn't that important to them? So, uh, 
Well, you know, you probably remember this too, Mark. The, the uh, early on, the, you know, not every community had a recreation program. You know, well, unfortunately, still true. right? Still true. Yeah. Well, I didn't know what the status was right now, but you know, certainly the larger cities and some of the more progressive areas. But uh, there was a tendency, and I had to warn some of our people about this, how sometimes we would handicap local communities by serving as their local oh, recreation. True. You know, and I think you and I back in those days didn't have conversa- had conversations about that, how we're not doing you any favor whenever we provide local rec. You know, so uh, well. This is true, and I, it's it's uh, an insight that you gain when you travel around and and look at the facilities that have been built in some of our state parks. Mm-hmm. And uh, you ask the question, okay, why do we have a big swimming pool at Cumberland Mountain State Park? Well, the reason we have a big swimming pool at Cumberland Mountain is because the local uh, political leaders politicked for it. Uh, and and got it in the state budget, and it was built. Right now, it's a beautiful swimming pool. Right, but you know, Crossville, Tennessee, at the time, didn't have a park and recreation department. Right, and so effectively, you know, the state government became the park and recreation department for at least in part, right, for the city of, of Crossville. Uh, and you can you can you can cite examples on you could cite examples Charlie sure. of that all across the state sure Chickasaw we provided a local softball league men's softball league which you know the community should be doing we right. funded that we right. gave the awards we paid the officials we you know right. but I remember distinctly that you and I did oh, absolutely talk did. about that topic absolutely you know did. back in those days but I believe uh one of the things early on, and thanks to Mac Pritchard, which I will say this too, Mark, Mac Pritchard ended up on our staff because of you. Tell me why. You were, you in, brought me into your office one day, <laughs> and Mac, I guess, was just sort of a st- the standalone person. Right. And you were trying to fit him into the organization and thought that that's where it would you know, he fit best, which he did. And and I remember that. I always appreciated you know, that. Yeah, you I'll, doing be, I'll be honest. Mac was a frustrating individual to be a supervisor of. Well. Because he had his own yeah, thing that he well, was going to do. And, and I appreciate this about you too, Mark, because we talked <laughs> about that. And I told him, I said, Mark, if you put him on our staff, he is going to be Mac Pritchard. Right. And you said Great. That's what you said. <laughs> well, and you know, were, I had made attempts yeah. uh, to to steer Mac in directions that I thought maybe it would be important uh-huh. to do. And they were futile. Right. No question about it. I mean, they, I was wasting my time. But you know what? A gifted, gifted guy. Oh, absolutely. And when it came time to make, to, make a, to make a program to a garden club or to a Kiwanis Club or a Rotary Club across the state, there was no one better no. at it. He would mesmerize people uh, doing bird calls and all kinds of, you know, citing poetry and showing beautiful pictures. I've been to meetings nationally from Washington State all across this country, and people would tell me, we do not have a Mac Pritchard. And they didn't. And they, right. The, you know, right. because he's one of a kind. But Mac... 
did so many things. He may, he may have rattled some cages back in those days, but he guided us in a way. Uh, it's it's hard to describe. You know, Mac, and I agreed with him. He thought, you know, let's face it, he wasn't a development guy. He right. was he was a guy for a, more of a natural state right. park. Right. He used to call it parkitecture, a right. park with parkitecture. He used to think that when you go across through the gate of a state park, you should immediately feel different. You should you should know that you're in a special place. And he showed us that look said what look what's going on all everywhere else, everywhere you look, building, building, change, change. Um he wanted state parks to reflect what was typical of that physiographic province where in the future you could walk in and say before all the development, this is what this land looked like. And I always, I, I like very that. Very thoughtful. Yeah. Very thoughtful. Oh, which, which leads me to a question that I've, in preparing for today, I thought of this question and I want to make sure we get it in because we're cl- closing in on our time. Okay. Um, you have been to every one of the parks and and into every region of the state mm-hmm. over the years of your traveling for Tennessee. Um, we have 56 or 57 parks now. Mm-hmm. Do we need more? And and if so, where? And what, what are your thoughts about, you know, it's, it's we've had the same number of parks probably for about 30 years, the same roughly. Uh, but the use of the parks has increased, mm-hmm. I mean, dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts about new parks and where they might be? You know, it's tough to get rid of an old park. Sure enough, sure enough. <laughs> you, know, you can't do it. Yeah, because you know some of the old, some of the old parks they're special right now, but they were sort of ill-gotten. You know, uh, they weren't really. There wasn't anything significant. There wasn't anything special. Which you know, you can't always have that. Every park can't have a view from Milligan's Overlook and right. stuff like that. Well, Indian, but, Indian Mountain State right, Camping right, Park. In, right, in, right. Uh, yeah, right. Is, it used to be a coal mine. Right, park. exactly. Right. So, so they, yeah. just, they just kind of fall in your lap when nobody else wants them. Right. But I think it, it's got to be based on those things that are significant. It, you know, not just to have an area. I think the old tourist plan said they wanted a park within so many miles of everybody I think it's got to be a little bit more than that. You can't save everything, but I believe you got to look at the most significant things you've got, whether it's this incredible recreational area, uh, scenic view, waterfalls, caves. Um, just, you know, you, you've got to really justify getting them instead of just saying, well, they're, we don't have anything else to do with them. What about a state park? I think that's because, like we said, you're not going to close. You're not going to get rid of them because they all have a place there in, in people's hearts, near sure. and dear, sure. you know. But you need to be pretty prudent, and and I think there are still areas out there that are significant that need to be protected. But they they've got to go through a process instead of just excellent, you know, excellent. Well, Charlie, thank you so much for My being pleasure. here today and, and spending some time with me and, and taking the time to come up here from, from home. It means a great deal to me, and it's been great to have you as a friend over the years.
Thank you, Mark. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you.